It is really good to be with you. Um, as Jeremy mentioned, my name is Jeff Nine, one of the pastors at Frontline Church, and uh, we uh, I get to serve in our our UConn congregation. But my my position uh, on staff is with church planting and church strengthening, so uh, helping train up church planters, walk with uh, church plants, and also coming alongside partner churches like Providence Road and going. How do we do ministry better together? How do we actually engage our cities? How do we engage our state? How do we engage our region? How do we plant more churches? And we do that better together than we do apart. And so the beauty is that when, when Christ called us to be one, he didn't just call us to be one as churches, and then you're, you know, we got one church here, one church there, one church there, one church there. We're actually to be unified across churches as well. And so the beauty is this partnership uh, has, has, been a, has been a fun one. Jeremy and I met at a, at a Starbucks, I think, over 10 years ago up here. He was in Austin. I was in, call, in Denver and met at Starbucks talking church planning for this city. And the beauty is that 10, 11 years later, we're here doing ministry uh, because of what Jesus has called us to. And you guys are a part of this church because God's called you to join with this mission here. And so I'm really, really grateful. Frontline loves Providence Road. We are for you. We love you. Uh, we're grateful that we can do ministry together with you. So I want to pray for us, and we'll go ahead and jump in this morning. Father, we're asking you to speak to us today. We don't need uh, tips and tricks. We don't need... Um, more data. We need Jesus. We need to see you, Jesus, as you are. So Holy Spirit, I ask, would you, would you, would you open our eyes and open our hear, ears to see and hear from you today? Would you speak to us? Would you transform our hearts as we encounter the risen Christ? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so as I was thinking about this season, it's, it's always kind of interesting to me how Christmas can be a, a, uh, an escape for many. And I think in 2020, for many of us, like we're just looking for any escape to get out of the year, right? It's just been, maybe your year, maybe your year's been awesome. For most of us, 2020 has been one we'd rather just kind of put in the rearview mirror. And I think there's been some people that come into Christmas season thinking, oh, okay, good, let's get a brief reprieve. Uh, only to stop and now go, what does it look like to re-engage this year? And, and here's the thing. I don't know if 2021 is going to be better than 2020. I hope it is. I, I don't know, what to, I don't know what to com- what's going to come. I don't know what to expect. Neither do you. What I do know is this, that what we celebrate at Christmas is not truth that's supposed to stay in Christmas. What we, what we talk about at Christmas is reality that, that, that shapes and defines all of life 365 days a year. So what does it look like to actually take the, that hope that we just celebrated at Christmas and actually have it, uh, it, have it transform all of life? And, and as we look at that, I wonder if one of the, the best places to go is to actually look at John the Baptist. You see, we come out of this, we come out of this season of, of 2020 where we are surrounded. COVID has been a disruptor. We're, we've got political tensions have, been, have felt like at an all-time high. Uh, there's been all kinds of cultural tensions that we felt. But here's the thing. If we look back to the ministry of John the Baptist and we look at when he did ministry, you'll find many of the same situations. You'll find, actually, they, they weren't necessarily in the middle of a pandemic, but what you do notice about the days in which John the Baptist is doing ministry are dark days full of uncertainty. 
If you do the, if you do the historical research, if you study what was going on in the early first century, what you'll find is in this part of Palestine, you will find political upheaval after political upheaval after political tension. It was not, it was not a, a smooth sailing on the political front. In, in the first century, you had the, the Israelite people had, had, had hopes and aspirations for who they would be as a nation and as a people, only to find themselves pushed under by Roman occupation and Roman oppression. Hopes that they had for what life would look like had been crushed under the Roman heel. It was a culture full of division. You see, the Israelite people were supposed to be a people that were unified around the law that God had given them. And yet what you find where you find all these different factions and different sects inside of Judaism fighting against one another. I know, I know in the church today, we don't have that kind of division, which is nice. You can laugh. I mean, I, it wasn't funny, but you can still laugh. No, here, here's the thing, like what, what they were experiencing are the kind of divisions that we experience in the church today. The kind of political tensions that we feel they felt. The kinds of uncertainty they experienced, we experienced. The time and the, 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 of this ministry were not that different there were also lots of competing saviors, people saying, I'm the one who's going to come and rescue Israel. I'm the one that's going to come and rescue these people. Just follow me. Sounds a lot like today. Now, John the Baptist had a unique calling that we don't share. He, he, he was a once-in-redemptive-history kind of calling, and yet... The way he lived his life and the way he did his ministry can and should shape the way you and I live heading into this coming year. The way that he lived should be a model for all of us. We can learn from his faithfulness in ministry. And there's three things I want us to look at from John the Baptist's ministry that are going to help us come around this. First, I want to look at John's confession. Second, I want to look at his testimony and third, I want to look at his posture. For John, we want to look at his confession, we want to look at his testimony, and we want to look at his posture. Turn with me to John 1. We're picking up in verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, um, I know the Prov Road can get you one. Uh, just ask somebody afterwards. We'll have the, the words up here. But if you've got your Bible, turn to John 1, verse 6. It says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that, he might, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Continue on verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said this, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them saying, I baptize with water. 
But among you stand one whom you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. You see, it's, it's interesting in this encounter because John the Baptist shows up on the scene preaching and baptizing, and the people around him expect John to say, look, I'm a big deal, follow me. But when they come and they ask him questions, who are you? Are you the Christ? He goes, nope. Are you this prophet? No. Are you that prophet? No. Are you anybody special? No, I'm not even worthy to untie that Galilean's shoes. You see, John's ministry starts with a confession, I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not your hero. And before we ever think about what does it look like to live life as Christians in this world, we have to start with this, I'm not the hope. I'm not the hope for me. I'm not the hope for my family. I'm not the hope for you. John starts with, I am not the Christ. I love it when he says, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even wor- worthy of untying the shoes, a, a, the, the work of a servant in the first century. I'm not, even worth, I'm not even worthy of being able to have that action, take that action for my Savior. Now, here's the thing. I think if we took a poll, I I think I could guess this pretty well. I would ask, are you the Christ? I think most of you are going to pass and say no. I hope. Uh, How many students are in here? I know you guys don't want to test. You're on on, uh, winter break. I get that. But if I ask you, one question test, pass or fail, are you the Christ? You say no. You'll pass. It'll be the easiest test you'll take all year. But here's the thing. We say that, but I don't know that we always live like that. Because too often when I have conversations with people, what I feel and what I hear is anxiety that that kind of takes, takes us in because we think we have to have the answers. We have to be the one that's smart enough, strong enough, wise enough to do what we need. We need to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and get ourselves through this world. Or we look, people, look around the, 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 our, the city, our neighborhood, our community, and look at people and go, they need me. I've got something that they need. I've got something to offer them. In other words, I don't think we would claim that we're the Christ. But my question is, how often do we actually live as if we think we are? Where do we think that if people would, people would get along just fine, everything would be better if people would just vote like me, speak like me, act like me? Ask me for favors. Ask me for advice. This confession that we are not the Christ should refocus our hope. But here's the thing. It doesn't lead to inaction. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. But it leads us to right action. You see, if I begin to think I'm the Christ in one way or another, I'm going to go and do things but I'm not going to do the right things. And there's something in this confession that actually shifts and changes the focus of what life looks like. What does it look like for me to do ministry? Let's just take a couple examples. David. King David in Samuel, in in 1 and 2 Samuel, when he leans on the fact that, that God, Yahweh, is his Lord, and he trusts in him, things go way better. But when he begins to think, I've got the power, I've got the strength, I've got the wisdom, 
things go really bad. Moses, Abraham, Peter, Paul. I look at lots of, I look at lots of um, these leaders, and you realize this: their hope was never in themselves. And as soon as they put their hopes in their, themselves, things went wrong. Guys, if we're living as if we're not the Christ, it's going to lead us to engage in a way that's not anxious. You see, if I'm not the Christ and, and Christ is the Christ, if, if Jesus is the Christ, if he's the one that my hope is in, I'm not anxious in the world. I'm not anxious in, throughout life because he's got, he's got it all. I'm not walking around with a, a lot of uh, anxiety. I'm not walking around trying to control things. Instead, it shifts my posture to one of prayerfulness because I actually know that I'm not the hope. I, I've got to turn my attention to Jesus and ask him to meet me in the midst of this. So John's confession that I am not the Savior needs to be our confession. And here's the reason why, guys. Norman doesn't need Providence Road. Norman doesn't need you. Norman needs Jesus. And if we as individuals or we as a church begin to think that we're the ones that, that this city needs, that these people need, we're going to begin to do things out of our strength, not turning our attention to the only one, who's, has, the, the only one who has the power, who has the grace to give the city what it needs. When we turn our attention on ourselves, we lose sight of this. Norman needs Jesus, which means Providence Road needs to be the first to say, I am not the Christ. But John's confession that he's not the Christ isn't where the story ends. Look at verse 29, still in John 1. And the next day... He saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. See, John starts with the confession, I'm not the Christ. And then he says this, behold the Lamb of God. He's answering a question that nobody was asking. Let's just be honest. Because nobody in, in, in first century Palestine at this time was walking around going, who's that guy over there? Is he the Christ? Not at this point anyway. The story might change as Jesus' ministry begins. But at this point, John is answering a question they're not even asking. And he's trying to help them answer, ask better questions. It makes me think of one of the greatest movies ever made, Matrix. Some of you weren't even born when that movie came out, which is a little concerning to me. But it's a great movie, right? Neo meets Morpheus and comes to realize that reality is not what he thought it was. Neo was locked in his cubicle doing his work when Morpheus comes and opens his eyes to a reality he hadn't seen. And as soon as Neo takes that red pill, 
He begins to see and experience things differently. But it's listen to this. Morpheus didn't just bring him different answers. Morpheus brought him different questions. You see, there's something in John the Baptist's ministry where what he's not simply doing is asking the people around him, hey, what questions are you asking? Let me give you better advice. He's saying to the world, you're looking in the wrong place, asking the wrong questions. You need better questions. You need to be asking the question, who's that man over there that calls himself Jesus? Who is that man? And he answers it then, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The city, Norman, is not simply running around without the right answers. They're often running around without the right, running around without the right questions. They're not looking at Jesus and going, who is he? And what changes in life is, if he is who he says he is? But that's a question they need to be asking. And so John the Baptist comes with starting with a confession, I'm not the Christ, and then reframes the questions of the culture and points people to Jesus. He stands as a witness of one who has been rescued by Jesus. There's nothing special in John. I think that's what I, that's what I love so much about this. That John doesn't stand as this hero. He doesn't stand on a podium outside of Jerusalem saying, look at me. He steps into a place of obscurity and stays in a place of obscurity because he keeps pointing to a different hope. But you can see that that hope drives everything that he does. You see, John starts with owning what's real. I'm not the Christ. Then he moves to a testimony of that is the Christ. But then he steps into this posture. And the only way I can really explain this is that he steps into the posture of a spotlight. Um, got a chance to go to see uh, Hamilton last year or the year before. And it's, and it's awesome. Uh, great, great show. Lights go down. Spotlight comes on. And you know what nobody in the room did? Where'd the light come from? Where? That's funny. Where'd that come from? Nobody does that, do they? Where do the eyes go? To the stage. The point of the spotlight operator is to be unseen, to be completely missed, to be hidden in shadow, pointing the light at where you're supposed to put your attention. Guys, we come out of a Christmas season in which we celebrate that God has become human, taken on human flesh, defeats death, is now at the, the right hand of God the Father as ruler and reigner, uh, in ruling and reigning over all of creation. That reality is where the world need, what the world needs to see. It's that reality that our eyes need to be drawn to. And it's that reality that John becomes a spotlight towards as he says, look at Jesus. Look at John 1, verse 35, and we'll read a couple verses in chapter 3. 
135. And the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. Turn on to chapter 3, verse 35. Or not 35, sorry, um, 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who said, or he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is mine and, now, and is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. It's a fascinating story because in the first century, for a, a person who was a preacher or a leader, what they were accumulating were a bunch of followers and, uh, and people to come along and hang on every word that they said. And so you had a lot of these in the first century. You'd have people, and they would gather a people, a following. They have all these people that were saying, hey, that guy's brilliant. That woman's awesome. Let's follow them. Let's do what they say. Let's, let's, let's follow them into wherever they're, they're leading us. And John is sitting here gathering people, and then people start leaving to go follow Jesus. And what you can almost feel is the anxiety in the people around John going, hey, John, you're losing followers. It's like Twitter. Like, you, you were at 10,000, and now you're at 5,000. What happened? What you, would you tweet? Like, they're worried because his followers are leaving, this, leaving him and going to follow Jesus. And John's like, I'm cool. It's good. This is the way it's supposed to be. Because the spotlight has been turned on Jesus' ministry, and John's whole point in ministry is to go, don't follow me, go follow him. Which was unheard of in that day. You didn't, you didn't gain power and prominence by losing followers and losing influence. And yet that's exactly what John is saying. And then he makes this statement that many of us, especially if you've grown up in the church, you've heard, and maybe even if you haven't grown up in the church, you've heard this. John say, he must increase, I must decrease. John was never in ministry for himself. He was never in this to accumulate for himself followers and things. He was always there to say, I'm not the Christ. That's the Christ. Follow him. But I want you to put yourself in John's shoes for just a moment and go, what's it feel like when that actually happens? Because sometimes what we can say is that's what we want our lives to look like. We want our lives to look like people that confess, I'm not the Christ, and then point to Jesus. And then we want people not coming to us as if we're the Savior, but going to Jesus. But then when people start pulling away from us, we get anxious. Because we want, we want the accolades. John doesn't. John is excited about us. And what's interesting is in the Gospels, we don't see John the Baptist through most of the Gospels. We see Jesus, which is exactly what it was supposed to be like. We're not supposed to see John. We're supposed to see Jesus. Our job as Christians is pretty simple. 
heading into this coming year, our job's pretty simple. We need to see Jesus as he is. We need to point other people to Jesus so that they see him as he is. And then we need to get out of the way. And if we're going to be, if Providence Road is going to be a church engaging Norman with the gospel, it's going to start with a confession, we're not what you need. But it doesn't stop there. It moves to a testimony of this is what Jesus has done in my life and he can do in yours. I'm not the hope. Jesus is the hope. This is what it's looked like when he changed me. Behold the Lamb of God. And then we do this from a posture of pointing everybody's attention to Jesus and then getting out of the way. That's not fancy. It's not complicated. But faithful ministry really is. Faithful ministry is not about having all the right answers. Faithful ministry is not about having all the right positions. Faithful ministry is about seeing Jesus clearly as he is. Hoping other people see Jesus as he truly is. And they're getting out of the way. Would you stand with me? As we close, I want you to ask a, ask a couple of questions. Is the confession, John's confession, that I am not the Christ, your confession? Are you looking for somebody else to save you or are you trying to save yourself? Now, I don't know if everybody in here claims to be a Christian or not. But this is something that even Christians get wrong often. And we think that we're, we're what people need or we're what we need. That we're the solution. That we're our Savior. So why don't you ask this question, am I actually living life in the, like, with the reality that I'm not the Christ? And then second, as we say, have I experienced this Lamb of God? Have I met this Jesus? And then number three, am I doing this from the posture of John? Am I pointing people to that hope? Or am I pointing them to myself or something else? Let's pray together. And I want, the, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to show us in our own lives, in our own parts, where where we need to learn from John. Jesus, we need you. We need to see you as you really are. We need to be transformed by your grace. And we also want to learn from you what it is like to, follow, to, to be like John and to point people's attention to you and they get out of the way. I pray that this year you would do that through Providence Road. I pray that this church would be marked 
would be marked by the posture of John. Marked by their confession that they're not the Christ, but you are. That they'd be marked by a testimony of your grace in their life in this city and that they would be pointing Norman's eyes to the only Savior that there is and then getting out of the way. Would you meet us where we are, Jesus? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our minds? And would you lead us to Jesus? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.